Albuquerque's macro aggression. Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk. 422 here in the Kiva. AM 1600, KIVA, ABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com, and now rockoftalk.tv. You can look at all the apps right there, and uh, certainly Larry likes to do that. Yes, he is Larry the Barons. Larry Barons here in studio here this afternoon and uh, giving the timing of what has been taking place up in Santa Fe. The Wagyu beef and uh, all the fixins. I guess. Uh, we were having fun yesterday talking about that but uh, this is no laughing matter this is a serious issue because uh larry i uh, by the way good afternoon sir good afternoon great to see you uh since we have been on lockdown and this is a very serious issue for a lot of people we've been in a situation where we've been told we can't leave the state can't leave uh to go to any of the national or state monuments can't go to church can't go to restaurants can't go out can't gather in our homes for more than five people uh do not let anybody in our homes or whatever we literally have the governor violating every single one of these she's going to non-essential businesses uh she is also uh taking a huge uh amount of liberty on her own behalf uh, to uh, have gatherings at her governor's mansion and you are the former communications director uh, for Governor Susanna Martinez, and we have one trip still necky uh, who has been uh, very truculent with the uh, media in a number of different ways, uh, to say the least. Uh, Chris Ramirez, that interaction I think was uh, very telling, uh, Larry, and uh, I think we have our first uh, brouhaha, I think, here in the state of New Mexico to be actually uh, explicit about it, given what's happening in... New York and California, and my big push to impeach MLG, I think uh, we're now sort of on the throes of at least thinking about that more seriously amongst many other people, Larry. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you talk about the most recent disclosures, and absolutely we can delve into those. But as you know, let's not forget, she went and sent someone to get jewelry when jewelry right. operators couldn't do anything. She's throwing huge raises to her staff, including to her communications director, uh, you know, I think he got a, a eighteen thousand dollar raise during the pandemic right. year, while while hundred thousand New Mexicans were without a job. And now we see that you know, at least from July to December, she was living in such a way that she was not encouraging New Mexicans to live. And that is what we get down to. It is they break the rules, they get caught breaking the rules, and then they say, well, it's you know. It's the governor. It's a big budget. We got things to decide here. So uh, the translation to all of that is it's different when we break the rules. And New Mexicans just aren't buying that. And one of the reasons I took a look at that is because I wanted to see, you know what, when you and I were standing in line to get food outside of any a large grocery store, uh, sometimes an hour, sometimes two hours, and it was cold, and our families were having to do it, but we needed to eat because of orders that the governor handed down we all knew in our hearts that Michelle Lujan Grisham wasn't standing in line there with us. We knew that, that she wasn't suffering from the orders that she was handing down on us. And I wanted to take a look at that. And sure enough, she was sending a staffer to the grocery store to get these things done. And that is, you have to ask yourself, did we stand out line, in line outside a grocery store so long because she couldn't relate? It was to her, it was no big deal. She had a bunch of yes people in her ear telling her how wonderful she is and had no idea, just a complete disconnect, even more so than usual, about how much uh, New Mexicans were suffering. Uh, you know, she went and got a couple of new puppies, apparently, that you and I have to foot the bill for 
right now and her dry cleaning and all these things it is um it, it's confirmation of what we already knew if that you know every new mexican knows that she's acting like this and what is i think closer to your point what is interesting to see now is the enablers close ranks right if they are being quiet about this if they say you know nothing about this then they know what she's doing is way out of bounds against the rules and is the height of hypocrisy. Right, right. But they don't want to come out against her because, by golly, she's one of our team. And so it is insane to see the fact that these Democrats would just fall all over themselves to file lawsuits, screaming outrage, crying injustice for all the things that they would do if Michelle Lujan Grisham had an R next to her name. Right. And But she doesn't, and so they just completely excuse it. But you and I both know that the people see this, the people understand what is going on with this, and they see that a governor puts herself above her people and says, it's going to be a different set of rules for me because I'm super special. Yeah, it certainly feels that way, um, and it actually might be, in fact, the reality that we've been dealing with, Larry, and I think that that's uh, something that, you know, it's almost like the first order of business for any government officials is, is you know, will you promise not to be corrupt, you know, uh, what's good for you is good for us. Will you treat us as equals? Will you not be condescending? Like these are all things that we expect out of our government officials. And she's the highest ranking. She has to set the example, Larry. And she's not setting the example. And I think coming out of COVID-19, uh, you know, we want to go with what our leaders ask us to do. Uh, she did a lot of modeling. She had her masks on. She had all these types of things that she was doing to try to try to you know, sort of, uh, I don't want to say coerce because that's the wrong word, but convince others that what she was doing was the right thing. But if we really kind of get behind the scenes, we're finding out that she's living in a totally alternative lifestyle. She's living two lives, one, her public life, and the other one, uh, inviting all her friends, relatives, and uh, buddies over for Wagyu beef and uh, uh, Crown Royal uh, and some margaritas uh, while watching the dogs play in the living room of the governor's mansion. Absolutely. It is. And people see it's, it, you know, uh, we call it two face, right? It is you're trying to be one person to the public when we know you're doing something different. And let's just get a look at this. You know, this this money comes out of what's called the governor's contingency fund. And it's always been there. Okay. It is made so that, you know, if in, in normal times where you can have gatherings, mm -hmm. if the ambassador of so and so shows up in the state or the deputy secretary or cabinet secretary of so and so, and you have a reception for them at the governor's residence. And so it was decided by the legislature long ago that the governor should have some discretionary money to be able to, uh, you know, at, in the name of advancing New Mexico, to entertain on those things. And and so the governors have had that discretion. When Bill Richardson came into office or left office, I want to say he left, it was like a, over $100,000 a year was in that discretionary fund. When Michelle Luan Grisham came into office, it was seventy two or 74000 a year. And then most recently, they raised it back up to $96,000 a year. And when the legislature went into special session to decide how much money to cut from here and there, they didn't cut any of the governor's contingency fund, even though she should not have been having gatherings, right. even though there was no reason to do it. And that mm -hmm. is, I think, the question on everyone's mind right, right. now is, like, right. you are buying all these groceries and all this stuff for one of two reasons. One, you're doing it for personal use, which is not allowed. You're not supposed to be doing this because it is your personal grocery list just because you're the governor. You're still expected to foot your own bills because you're the governor. Or two, you're doing it for gatherings that you're telling the rest of us not to have. And the stories have pointed that out correctly. While she has told us to not gather, she has been having gatherings of people not in, from her household. 
And so it is, it would be, um, I don't know. It, let me just say this. You talked about how she has tried to convince us to do certain things. Yes, I yes. would say the word we're looking for is shame. Anybody who has questioned her, she has shamed them to say, you want people dead if you're not going to listen to me. You want people to die. Her communications director called us a death cult if you yeah. don't follow the rules. That's right. Trip now that they are caught blatantly not following the rules, it's just a, oh, shucks, we have to do it because it's us. Right. It went, it went from life and death when it's you and me or any other member of the public to, oh, well, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, we, we, we have important governor things to do. There is not a single meeting that the governor would have about budget that she couldn't do over Zoom. But for some reason, she felt the need, according to what they've said publicly, and I'm not saying that that's true, to have people come into the governor's residence who obviously don't live there and to, oh, they social distance, everything's fine, and then meet for a long enough time to where they need food and drink from the governor's discretionary fund. And so she is having gatherings that aren't allowed. And the fact of the matter is she is living her life one way that's completely different than she is forcing us to live another, and she has shamed anyone who's done exactly what she has done. The media has not been very even keel on this. In fact, we've seen the media. Uh, it was surprising to see Chris Ramirez did what he did. Um, but 7 and 13 actually picked up KRQE, I believe, uh, just picked up on this mm-hmm. about an hour and a half, two hours ago. You've got national media now interested in, in this story. Um, you know, the do as I say, not as I do uh, routine is going on. And when we start to see this, uh, you know, illustrative uh, of corruption in of, of power, uh, I should say. Um, but you watch Santa Fe, New Mexican, you watch the Albuquerque Journal. I believe they didn't even want to pick up on this story. They have yet to write about it mm-hmm. or even talk about it. Uh, I think that's a, an important point to bring out. But a lot of the media has done everything that she has told them to do. And in fact, uh, I believe that she hasn't just shamed them. She's also tried to go after them. And, and if they are not on her side, then they don't get invited like me. And these other people that are in the media, it's very interesting. She calls them friends. She calls them her partners in the media. So there is this whole entire thing where she's been able to sort of pull the wool over the entire public uh, because she's been floating underneath the cover of other media that's out there. And by contrast, here's the perfect uh, snowing that's going on. They bring up uh, a pizza party from three, four, five years. I don't even know how long ago at this point uh, that that happened. And they're they're trying to say, well, well, look at what she did uh, way back then. I mean, it's the whole uh, play that happens every single time that they're justifying their own bad behavior based upon, which is essentially admitting to the bad behavior and saying that that it's okay. Well, and that's just it. And and I think the key difference is, and yeah, they're gonna the other side's gonna say that they're gonna point to this as an excuse. But you know what? The governor said, if you don't follow her rules, you are endangering New Mexicans. And she didn't follow her rules. So what is she doing? I mean, there is a much different connotation than there was a years ago when you know when governors spent money on um, the contingency fund prior to. Michelle Luan Grisham coming into office. And, you know, when you talk about the media landscape, if I, if you want, I can go a little insider baseball on it a little sure. bit. But, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and this is... We've a, got a couple of minutes in this segment. Yeah, keep in mind, this is uh, from 10 years ago experience, and so not really new at all. But you see Channel 4 break, and they promoted it. They, they had it in promos going up before that they were going to break this story. They broke it at 10 o'clock. What was it? Uh, Wednesday night. They break it at 10 o'clock. Now, here's a dirty little secret about the TV people, or at least how it was when I worked in TV. They're all watching each other. They're watching each other left and right. They see who got what, how got, who led with what, who has what, who doesn't have what. And by and large, they try to copy each other. 
if somebody has you know the shooting in the South Valley, right. well, we try to have the shooting in the South Valley. Now, the exception to that is when there's a large investigative story like Chris Ramirez did. So it, it kind of turns on its head in that sense for the TV people. The other TV people now will not touch it. Why? Because they don't want to be seen as saying, you know what, we got beat on this story, so we're going to try to acknowledge it pretend it's not important. Now, you have a newspaper covering it, a newspaper that you know is a lar- has large statewide coverage. Right. And now the TV people say, we're not covering it because Channel 4 is covering it. We're ch- covering it because the Santa Fe New Mexican has covered right, it. Right. And so that, therefore, gives them permission and so that they can hold their head up high and say, we didn't copy Channel 4. We just copied a newspaper, which we copy newspapers all the time. So that's kind of the, the matriculation of how that story works. And, and hopefully, you know, this is something that um, kudos to Channel 4 for, for covering it. But, you know, I can tell you in the Martinez administration, that contingency fund, we had to respond to receipts for that on a regular basis. The media was doing that on a regular basis. So Here this we are. is the very first time that Michelle Lujan Grisham is having to any deal with any IPRA? It, it, well, not any IPRA, but IPRA on this, absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, something yeah. that adds pressure to the administration. And this, uh, in terms of focusing on her, uh, certainly would. Uh, do we know who provided or who could have gotten the IPRA? Oh, I'll tell you it was me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Okay. I, I did. And I'll tell you what the genesis of it was. Uh, you know, we have, um, and, and you know I work for Power of the Future, and we have the lowest amount of energy um, jobs in New Mexico than we've had in a decade right now. We had my family, your family, everyone standing outside in line, and I wanted to see, uh, you know, show me um, what the governor is spending her, you know, our taxpayer dollars on while we are standing in line. And this is what I got back from it. And so I was glad to share that. Uh, Larry Behrens, uh, great work, and uh, we're going to talk, I think we should talk uh, more about uh, Texas energy, New Mexico energy, the anti-fracking that seems to be uh, coming up right now. We'll do that uh, when we uh, get back uh, here in the Kiva, uh, here on AM 1600 KIVA, com, and Rock of Talk TV. We're very fortunate to have Larry here telling us uh, what's going on uh, and telling us that he's the one who did this. And that's just fair. And it's just politics. And it's uh, we deserve to know more transparency. It's uh, sad that somebody else has to do the job that the fourth estate, the media is doing. But I believe that we do that here. Uh, back in four uh, here in the Kiva on AM1600KIVA, ABQ.FM, Rock of Talk TV, rockoftalk.com. Albuquerque's macro aggression. Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk. All right, uh, 440 here in the Kiva. Larry Barons, and uh, he knows a little something about uh, things happening up in the governor's mansion, but he knows a lot more right now about what's happening, uh, not just here in the state of New Mexico as far as oil and gas and energy and PM and the merger and the fact that energy is going to cost more and Gas is approaching 250, and the world's coming apart. Things aren't good. Uh, but also, uh, what's happening in Texas? Uh, don't mess with Texas. Well, the weather did. Doesn't look good for Texas. It's uh, just coming out for the very first time of that deep freeze. Things are changing for sure. But this is what a green new energy world looks like, uh, Larry Barron. This is what we got. Windmills frozen. 
you know, an oil and gas producing uh, state uh, being frozen under that underneath and totally paralyzed and a complete and total failure by Governor Greg Abbott, a 25% dependency on wind energy. I mean, there's so many lessons here. And I have to tell you, I wish this would have happened before the election because I think this deep freeze, not that I wish it happened at all, but this deep freeze I think would have absolutely uh, uh, changed the complexity of the election because this could be one of I mean, you're bringing back a U.S. senator from his vacation. It's that bad. Uh, it, it's, it's, and that's Ted Cruz who just said, well, it's a bad judgment. I should have left and suffered with everybody else. Uh, this green new energy uh, deal, tell us why this is so reflective of what's happening in Texas, surprisingly. Well, it's, it's a problem. So just a, a quick history lesson. You know, we remember it was just August that California was going through the same things, except it was with the heat, right? It was that they couldn't keep their air conditioner going, even though it was triple digits, and they had to have rolling blackouts because, again, their over-dependence upon, quote-unquote, green energy. And the bottom line is, here's what green energy does. It supplies energy for exactly when you don't need it. It, it, it supplies energy for when the sun is shining and when the wind is blowing. And oftentimes that is when we're not working hard to collect energy or to, to use energy. And that's what they found in Texas. And so for, and, and, and again, just like happened in California, we're seeing it happen now in Texas. The environmental left, uh, just kind of like the same argument they use in socialism. They, they don't want to claim responsibility when their quote unquote solution fails. They'll say, oh, no, 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 you guys just didn't do it right. No, 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 you just need to do it better. And it's like, well, no, it's failed in Russia, it's failed in Cuba, socialism fails. Well, it's the same thing with green energy. It's failed in California, it's failed in Texas. doesn't matter if the state is red or blue, green energy doesn't work. So for years, Texas has decided, you know what, we're going to go down this road a little bit. And understanding they're much more uh, deregulated than New Mexico is, but they went down this road to say we're going to depend on these unreliable sources of energy. And when I say they're unreliable, I mean it's because they're subject to the weather. If the weather isn't favorable, they just don't produce electricity. And they neglected their traditional energy sources, their fossil fuel sources, and they neglected the infrastructure for that so that when they needed them to ramp up or spin up quickly, they weren't available. And they'll say, your eco-left folks are going to say, well, you know, these other energy sources went down as well, which is absolutely true. But wind energy, the expected output of wind energy dropped 98%. When the that's, freeze happened, that's absolutely insane. It is, uh, but we had something similar happen here as well, Larry. Because mm-hmm. at the beginning of the week, as we were tracking this stuff, and Dow did a good job of, of tracking it, we were looking at potentially um, less than five percent, if not zero, through Monday, Monday through Wednesday of the solar energy mm-hmm. that we would have to depend upon. And I, I guess, by the same token, uh, we also have some wind, but not very much that contributes to. Our overall energy. I mean, this is uh, this is the Energy Transition Act in action. Yeah, and that's and and if you want to see what New Mexico would look like in a deep freeze three years, four years from now, unless things change, look at Texas this past week. New New Mexico. If you go on PNM's website, they'll happily show you how much of your energy is being derived from renewable sources right now. Uh, you know, when that freeze hit us, it was less than five percent. Less than 5% of the energy that was keeping my family warm, your family warm, all of New Mexico warm, was coming from renewable sources. So that would lead me to believe, thank goodness, we have the other 95% there uninterrupted. Now, let's be honest. The San Juan Generating Station up near Farmington provides a ton of that. And the good men and women who work in the coal mine there and who supply the coal for the generating station kept the lights on. 
kept things warm in New Mexico, uh, at least in the part that P&M covers, right, during this time. But you know what? That place is slated to close in July 2022. So what happens in our first freeze of February 2023 or in November 2022 when we have to rely on these sources? And let's just be honest. There, the eco-left is asking us to rely on something that doesn't work if it's a cloudy day. It's just that uh, I don't want to use any expletives, so I won't, but it's just that simple. The fact of the matter is they want your family's uh, dependency to be on whether or not it's cloudy or whether or not the wind is blowing as to whether or not your family can keep warm. And Texans, um, I have family that lives in Texas. I have great friends that live in Texas because I went to college there. They, some of them were without power for 48, 80 hours. And it was a huge ordeal for their families and to try to figure it out. This fails at when you need it the most. It failed Californians when they needed their air conditioners to work to keep them cool in triple-digit heat. It failed Texans when the temperature dropped to, uh, you know, two degrees in some places. And, you know, I was lucky enough to get an op-ed this last week, a couple days ago in the Daily Caller about this. Oh, wow. I took a Congratulations. Look, thank you. I took a look at the different counties as the power outages were hitting Texas, and they showed what percentage of customers in that county did not have power at that time. And I looked at a little county in the south-south panhandle of West Texas, and I forget the name. It's, it's like iron, but it's definitely not iron. Now I'm going to feel silly. But at the time, 70%, as the worst of this was hitting, 70% of their residents did not have power. The temperature in their county seat was 2 degrees. What? The, yeah. They didn't have power. 70% of the residents didn't have power. Now There had to be a multiple fatality or multiple deaths well, keep in uh, mind as a result of It's West Texas, so it's yeah. sparsely populated. We're talking the population of the county, maybe three to 4,000. Okay. So not huge, but still, 70% of them without power. Now let's take that over to Travis County, Texas, okay. which is home to Austin All right. at the same time. Now, uh, granted, uh, more people many times over than this little county in Texas, but yet Travis County only had 30% of their residents without power. And that is how it works. You have counties that would, in West Texas, that would love to utilize the resources that are there to keep themselves warm, and they get cut out. But folks in Austin who love them as much as you want, they are advocates of the green energy, and they don't have to face the consequences as bad as those in the rural parts of their state. And I get it. You know, there's probably close to a million people in and around Travis County, and it, that's no comparison to 4,000 people. But you know what? Why does one county have to have 70% of their customers without power and the other only gets 30 and one has advocated for that source of energy. And so this is how it happens. The disparities of what the green energy does when it fails is incredible. And, you know, you saw it as well as I do. In California in August, Gavin Newsom's house was fine. Beverly Hills was fine. Those people didn't ever lose their power, didn't ever lose any issues. It's the working families that they cut the power to first because they, they say, you know what, these folks are less likely to complain. They don't have the, really the means to complain, and if they do, they just don't get listened to as much. But you know what, if we do it to Hollywood, oh my goodness, yeah, that, then they'll really be upset. And that's how it works. It is, and that's who's pushing most of this stuff. Yeah, it I mean, is. When, it the looks, people who push when you it look at it, are, are people who don't the, even live here. The people who push it are shielded from the consequences, kind of like someone who maybe lives in the governor's residence in Santa Fe, shielded from the consequences of her own actions. It is uh, one set of rules for everybody else, one set of rules for us, and that is how they decide that it is quote-unquote fair. These people that scream, let's make it fair, let's make it equitable, do not want to live with the equitable consequences of their decisions. 
It is incredible, uh, Larry. I know that uh, I've been seeing Daniel Turner, who's the head of your group, Power of the Future, powerofthefuture.com. He's been making his way around uh, the media uh, quite a bit. He's been in demand. I think I've seen him on OAN, Newsmax. Mm -hmm. I've seen him on Fox News, of course, because he's been a staple there for a long time, especially early mornings, 5 to 6. I've seen him several times. But I have to tell you, we're not getting enough of the word. What can we do to really make our case. Uh, we're without social media. We don't really have the strength or the trust of our conservative media, what we have. Obviously, here locally, you know, you find that here at the Rock of Talk, and that's a good thing. But, you know, what can we do to get this this word out so that we can prevent this from happening? Because there seemingly is no consequence. It's like, yeah, Texas is dumb. They weren't prepared, and they didn't know, and uh, they didn't know what, what they were getting themselves into with all this. This really isn't their fault. This is... Uh, uh, in my opinion, a function of corruption. There's somebody somewhere that made a bad deal at some point uh, because it would put more money in his or her pockets, and they decided to go along with, hey, look at this wind, clean energy. This is a great idea. Why don't we just jump on board with this? They signed the deal. They're getting paid while everybody else is you know, living in complete and total misery because this is not something that normal, rational people who is the largest uh, producers of oil and gas on mm -hmm. private land in the in country would ever even uh, do. In fact, Abbott just the previous week, if I'm not mistaken, Larry, I believe that he was recognized for his contribution to a green new energy future just uh, the week before. Yeah. And the question you're asking is the exact right one, and I'm not going to give you a silver bullet answer, but I'm going to give sure. you some answers. Is The first one that comes to mind is you have to step outside your fear. I, I understand if you're an energy worker, if you're a working family here in Albuquerque, if you did not get into your career to be politically active and to get into fights, and, and more importantly, if it's a business you've built up, something you've built up, uh, maybe handed from your parents or something you hope to hand to your kids, it's it's pretty sacred to you and the things that you do and you don't want to put that at risk but they are coming after it they are coming to take it away they are coming to destroy it and they don't care what work you've put into it so if you are a pipe fitter if you are someone who works i, I don't care if you're just the gopher at a rig or somewhere that is you know and we've seen it here with the lockdown if you're a waiter a waitress all these people that do everything that keep our economy moving every day they don't get into those jobs to be politically active, but right. you know what? Your job now, because of what our governor has done and because what the forces right. aligned against you are doing is now political. And so you have to punch them, and I, I don't want to be that construed as I'm saying metaphorically, sure. uh, where they I pay attention. I appreciate the clarity because yeah. uh, no doubt uh, we could see that being Yeah, media matters yeah. will, will <laughs> have their, their piece ready to go. That's right. But the fact of the matter is you have to get noticed where they pay attention. I am a, a huge believer in the fact that the only reason Michelle Lujan Grisham, quote-unquote, reopened the schools is because she saw that survey in the Albuquerque Journal the day before mm -hmm. and said, you know what, most parents want this now. Oh, my goodness. So it's sad that she doesn't believe the calls coming into her office. She doesn't believe any number of things that are happening around. She doesn't even believe common sense in it. Only when it shows up on the front page of the paper does it then get her attention. Well, and so that's where you have to, to take the fight. I, I, I think you're, nobody's fighting more uh, than you uh, that's out there that's outside of this radio station for sure. Uh, you're on the front lines. Uh, that IPA request was huge. Um, but I have to ask you, and I'm going to do so after the break, about this uh, shift to red and yellow all of a sudden, and we don't even have the updates. And i, I got to tell you, uh, that really begs a lot of questions. And I'd like for you to also uh, talk about uh, Andrew Cuomo as well. Back after a quick break uh, here in the Kiva. 
on AM1600 KIVA, ABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. And now for the TV, Roku TV, Amazon Fire, as well as Apple. You have an Apple TV, too? I uh, do. You've got, you got it all. <laughs> you're, just, you're connected. You're connected. There it is. All right, back in uh, four. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Albuquerque's macro-aggression, Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk. All right, let's wrap the hour with Larry the Barons, former communications director, and uh, I just put in the because he's so awesome. And, that is uh, my legal middle name. So yeah. Don't worry about there we go. Um, let's uh, jump into, I think, what's happening nationally, the malaise, the other stuff that that is uh, really kind of going on. Um, with these governors who are corrupt, and I think nobody would know this stuff better than you because you're doing a lot of national stuff. And yeah, please help us understand um, just how bad is it going to be potentially for Michelle Lujan Grisham if uh, that data and the yellow and the the green, as she's saying, we're going to open up next week. I almost feel like uh, she's being pushed by at this point the pressure that is coming in. Um, which is going to push her out. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, and and uh, I think that's uh, for reinforcing her decisions. She's carried the agenda hard enough, uh, long and hard enough, and she no longer has Cuomo or Newsom or Phil Murphy uh, to to stand behind. Well, and let's just uh, so let's just put a nice little news peg on that too. A week ago today, the governor who magically lifted her travel ban the day before she was going to go to Washington to meet with the president. When she met in Washington with the president and the vice president, it was Governor Lujan Grisham and who else? It was Governor Andrew Cuomo. They were all in the same room together there in the Oval Office chatting up their COVID success. And so there was probably no more COVID failure in a single room than there was in that moment, and yet they tried to define it as success. But let's get to, I'll, I'll start small and then go a little bigger. First of all, the the journal did, I want to say it was June or July of last year, and, and don't hold me to that, but you can look up the story. The journal actually took a look at when they started to see these nursing home deaths in New York, took a look at how many were happening in New Mexico. And I want to say around the time, about 40% of the deaths that were happening in New Mexico from COVID were happening in nursing homes. They haven't looked at it since. No one has really looked at since how many of the people who have succumbed to COVID in New Mexico have done so in a nursing home. And the reason that it's important, and I understand there is a distinction between Governor Cuomo, who ordered people who were infected with COVID into nursing homes, then tried to deny it, and then tried to cover it up, um, and it's all being exposed now. I understand he did that, and there was no explicit order from Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. But there is, you know, she came into office saying what a huge advocate she was for the elderly. She was the first secretary of the Aging and Long-Term Services Department under Bill Richardson. The moment it was made a department, she was the first secretary. One of her claims to fame was that she, in a disguise, into a nursing home to check the conditions as part of her job. And so she has taken pride into saying the state is responsible for what is happening with our elderly care. And at the time, 40% of those who were dying of COVID in New Mexico were dying from uh, we're dying in nursing homes. It hasn't really been looked at yet. And I can tell you the data, just like her contingency fund, is right there. If you look at the daily press release from the governor's office or from the Department of Health, when they released the COVID numbers, they used to, I don't know if they still do, but they used to say 
one of the people who died, when the people that have succumbed to it, they would say they were a resident of this nursing home. No one has taken a look at how many of the overall people who have passed away in New Mexico have passed away in nursing homes. And then the next question would be, why? Let's ask that question, why? We have an indication of why in New York. Why in New Mexico did the state not do enough to protect it? We know that early on in the pandemic, she evicted people in a rehabilitation center in order to have a place for COVID that was never really used. We know that the Gibson Hospital was probably never really used. And so all these things that the state tried to take credit for doing, for protecting its citizens, well, how effectual were they? And that goes then now to the red, yellow, and green. I listened to your show yesterday, talk about the quote in the Roswell Daily Record, and it was really interesting to hear the fact that the state feels, hey, you know what, by the next time we do this, there'll they'll certainly be more. Well, that is, it's troublesome on two points, and they both conflict with each other. One, it's troublesome if you know that the counties are either yellow or green right now, and you're just holding back. It just shows that this two-week time is arbitrary. You guys are just waiting for reasons that you never articulate to the public to reopen aspects of this state and let people get back to work, even after they've met your arbitrary thresholds. Two, if you know if they are not really meeting those thresholds, let's take a look at how do you know what the numbers are going to say a week from now, two weeks from now. I mean, sure, they're going to say, well, based on trend lines, if it keeps going this way and so on and so forth. But from what I understand, they were pretty definitive. And what they said, they were definitive in saying it is going to be this. And so that raises the question of the validity of the numbers. And it has to be asked. It was asked in New York. And I understand the media, their environment is much more scrutiny than it is here in New Mexico on the governor. But someone needs to be asking the questions of are these numbers that we're getting from you uh, the accurate numbers instead of simply just sometimes repeating them day in and day out because for months and months and months we saw that Cuomo was saying how dare you question my numbers he actually wrote a book if you recall talking That's about right. how great he That's did right. with COVID right. and everyone who was raising questions about nursing home and the numbers they were ostracized they were cast aside but you know what lo and behold they were right it was yep. um, a deadly decision on the part of the governor. And all of a sudden, CNN isn't going to let the governor be on the TV with his brother anymore. And yep. all of a sudden, there's an FBI DOJ investigation. And that goes to my last point. We have to talk about whether it's Cuomo, whether it's the Lincoln Project, whether it's falling COVID numbers. We have to talk about the timing. People knew about what was going on with the Lincoln Project last year. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It mm -hmm. just didn't, it didn't fall. People knew what was going on with Cuomo last year. No doubt about it, but for some reason, uh, it didn't, uh, you know, make the the amount of noise that it did now. Why is it now that we have Joe Biden as president? Is it okay for them to be more truthful? These things that they did not report at the time are being, uh, you know, withheld and and not, and the people are being ostracized. I mean, the story in the New York Post is the state assemblyman in New York who has been Kim, yes, yeah, Representative Kim, who has been pushing this. Uh, was berated over the phone yeah. about, you know, from Cuomo, who says, I'm going to destroy you. This is the end. I'm going to sue you and destroy you. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that when Donald Trump has a conversation with Georgia uh, governor or officials that amazingly that call right. is recorded, the media loves it. There's no call of Cuomo on this recorded for some reason, and it doesn't get out. It, it is just amazing the amount of scrutiny. And you know it's gets, there. Yeah, it's there. It has to be. Yeah, It has to be. And so it, it, the matter, the fact of the matter is why, you know, the, the biggest question is, uh, just like the governor's contingency fund, everybody knew this, even though you didn't have the, the, the smoking gun in your hand like we do now, 
Everybody knew she wasn't standing in line with us. Everybody knew that she was probably breaking the rules, even while shaming those people that, uh, you know, that, that wanted to live their lives. Yeah. And lo and behold, now that we know that these things are true, why is it now? Was it solely aimed at Donald Trump? Was it solely aimed at trying to keep these things under wraps until... There's no question about it. Yeah, and, I mean, and it's now a rhetorical it just, question at this point. It just built up, and now, yeah. now why is it all quote-unquote okay to come out now? Don't get me wrong, better late than never, mm-hmm. but still, the, the question of the timing has to be asked. Yeah. I think, uh, whoa, sorry about that. Uh, he's not in today, by the way. No. Nope. Uh, you should be pay- praying for Rudy and his family. I'd like for you to guys uh, do that. Uh, so especially his dad, uh, he got the vaccine, not doing so well. Do you mind sticking around for another hour? I'll be happy to. You'd be, I'd love to talk about a lot of different things with you, uh, the news, the latest stuff that's coming out. But I'd like to talk about Rush Limbaugh, uh, mm-hmm. you as a conservative. I'd love to talk about uh, the vaccine, how it's impacting people. And uh, how about we do that? We return a special third hour, by the way. Uh, Fox News just released a special tribute to Rush Limbaugh. So we're going to carry that oh. for hour number three. Uh, today, but uh, let's hit the top of the hour. Fox News right here in the Kiva. We'll bring it back for hour number two with Larry Barons, or as I like to refer to him, Larry the Barons, right here in the Kiva. AM 1600 KIVA, ABQ.FM, RockofTalk.com, and Rock of Talk TV for Roku, Fire TV, and Apple as well. And uh, hey, I'm not promoting Apple. There's just no other place for us to put all of this great video and get this stuff out to you. And uh, most likely you have those devices. But why not pick up a Roku? Albuquerque's macro aggression. I am Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk on AM1600, KIVA, ABQ.FM, RockofTalk.com, and we got Larry Barron's hour number two. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm even better than hour number one. I bet. I bet. Well, after getting all that and the feedback, and, you know, I was just getting a, another. Uh, Another uh, notch on your belt, so to speak, right? I'll take yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, and, and you're doing a great job, former communications director for Susanna Martinez and the uh, now the director for the Western States for Power the Future. And we've got a lot to get through, and we're going to get through the news to sort of wrap the week. A lot of uh, things happening, not the least of which, obviously, is uh, Rush Limbaugh. And I thought, as uh, probably one of the best conservatives that I know, Larry Barron, as someone who's very media savvy, as uh, Rush was, uh, Will will delve into that and going into our third hour. So this is kind of a very special uh, day for broadcasting from the standpoint of we need to talk about uh, Rush, what he meant, and you know, go in and thinking about what our what our lives mean and uh, how politically active we're going to be and what we're going to do going forward and you know what does a post-Trump, post-Rush uh, uh, Limbaugh world all look like? We'll do that to k- kick off our second segment. But let's race through. I know uh, Larry is. Uh, Looking at our uh, rockoftalk.chat site, I want to take some time to go ahead and do that because we put it all together each and every day with all that uh, information. And, you know, rather than go to uh, Joe Monahan's blog or have to pick up the Albuquerque Journal who didn't want to touch uh, the newspaper or the news story with regard to Michelle Lujan Grisham, uh, they didn't want to, they, they, they weren't interested in the receipts. They weren't interested in what had happened. We've been putting things together over at uh, rockoftalk.chat very uh, diligently. And, uh, you know, we put these questions to each other and we try to figure out, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And uh, the latest post there by Dowd, will 2021's fuel tax attack succeed? And with regard to energy, let's just start right there. Um, 
adding insult to injury. We already know that we're approaching 250. I'm thinking it's four, 450 at this point uh, in May as we head back to school or head back out on the roads. Uh, Larry, we're in a, a bit of a conundrum here because this green new energy future we heard from Jaguar and a couple of other uh, car manufacturers this week, they, they will cease manufacturing anything that has anything having to do with gas, coal, oil, you name it. Your thoughts and what is energy, uh, excuse me, power of the future's thoughts on this? Well, I, I'll i tell you my thoughts on it. If they want to cease manufacturing uh, gasoline-powered vehicles, then if they want to go with new Coke, that is completely their their uh, a prerogative to do so. The consumers will determine uh, whether that is the right way to go or not. But the fact of the matter is, when you look at gas prices, it is an absolute reflection of what Joe Biden has done with his orders. He has ordered moratoriums yep. on public land. New Mexico, as you know, Eddie, is one of the biggest producers in the country. And over, you know, 30% of our state is on public land. About half of our production comes from public land. And so when you're getting less of a product from your country, you have to import it. And lo and behold, it is more expensive. Joe Biden, is not. it's not going to matter. He doesn't pay for his gasoline. Michelle Lujan Grisham, they don't care. They're, they don't right. pay for their gasoline. Right. You pay for your gasoline. I do, and every other working family does, and now it's taking a bigger chunk out of their budget. Well, they want to go ahead and increase these gas prices. Uh, it hasn't yep. been increased since 2004 for diesel, and as I understand it, 1993, as uh, Dowd wrote up uh, for uh, for uh, normal gasoline, uh, it's currently mm-hmm. sitting at 17, uh, 17 cents yep. uh, and 21 cents uh, for diesel. So as we look at these numbers and we you know, try to angle ourselves going forward, Please help me understand why putting more gas uh, gas tax on increasing gas prices is somehow a good idea, or maybe if it's not, because <laughs> I know it's not, yeah. and you know it's not, but help me understand the rationale here. Well, there is some argument to be said that a part of that money is dedicated to maintaining the roads that we all drive on, and we like maintain roads, and we like to have that. But that's where the only, I think, feasible argument we could talk about. You're going to hear the other side say uh, two main arguments. One is the, uh, you just articulated it there. Well, New Mexico has one of the lowest gas taxes, and by golly, we haven't done it since 1993. When is that a good reason to do yeah, anything? Not. What if, what, uh, I mean, imagine a world, if you will, where New Mexico has the highest uh, graduation rate, where every kid is graduating, going to Yale and Harvard. Do we say, you know, we have the highest graduation rate. It's just not fair to the other states. We're going to stop doing that. That that comparison, when you're doing something good, is no reason to change your behavior to do something bad. And the second argument you're going to hear is environmentalist. Uh, it was just a year ago that a Santa Fe legislator brought a 30 cent a gallon gas tax increase. And this was before COVID. Can you imagine if this had passed? He wanted 30 cents, and part of it was just the normal, hey, we just want to increase the gas tax because that's what we do. We can't, you know, we haven't done it in a while, and there's a pot of money that we want to go after, and we're just going to do it. But the other part was part of the money was supposed to be dedicated to uh, helping in educate uh, New Mexico school children and the public on the impacts of the environment. So it was their own re-education fund that part of your gas tax would go to. Thankfully, that bill died, but you know you know how they are. They're not going to stop after just one try. And the fact of the matter is, they won't call it that in New Mexico, but by and large, what they want is a carbon tax. They don't like that you drive a gas car. They don't like that you drive a gas-powered vehicle, so they're going to make you pay extra to do it. So how do you get to a carbon tax 
if you're already getting taxed on the actual gas, let's say they increase it this year somehow, mm-hmm. and they're looking for more revenue, even though that they don't need it, uh, because you just borrowed $2 billion, and uh, they're, yeah. they're stopping the fracking on public lands, which is going to totally put a giant hole in the uh, state budget, and we're not going to be able to maintain this forever. And she's going to rob Peter, Peter to pay Paul, and that's her pension fund that's going to the permanent fund. I mean, we're just playing a shell game at this point, or she exactly. is, with, with this with this money, how do you go back to the consumers and tell them, hey, you know what, we haven't raised it in 27 years, we haven't raised it in uh, 17 years uh, for diesel, and say, hey, this is a good idea, you just can't. I mean, it's, at that point, can't. it's just over. Yeah, and uh, that, I, I think political, mm-hmm. politically, I think it would be suicide this year for them uh, to go ahead and increase that gas tax, given the fact that nobody's been out of their house. How are you taking this time uh, to when you put an all-time low number of miles on your truck, car, etc., for uh, a one-year period on your whatever age mm-hmm. vehicle you have, how do you go out and say, well, we're coming out and we're going to come out and save the environment and we're going to ask a little bit more from you. You need to pay a little bit more in. Well, I think we overestimate their ability to empathize with working families and we underestimate their hubris. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, this was the same legislature and the same governor. I believe she would have signed if it made it, but we made too big of a fuss about it. They, in 2019, her first session record budget surplus they passed tax increases they actually proposed the biggest tax increase in the history of the state now the ultimate bill didn't end up doing that but yeah there was a tax increase passed in 2019 and when we had a record budget surplus so you know your questions are good ones but i would respond with you know they will pass taxes when they have more money than they know what to do with of course they're going to and pass that taxes. is right now surprisingly because yeah. more money is now coming in to the coffers, uh, you're looking at $2 billion that have now come in, and they're going to, again, despite the fact that uh, your former boss and our former governor left her with $2.1 billion, she went through extra. that. Yes. Yeah, extra. She went through that and increased taxes at the very same time. So if they can, they'll do it every single time. And, and if they do it in the name of, well, we need pass-throughs for tribal lands, for under-income, under-educated, and it's just all a bunch of do-good BS at this point. And that's what's driving people out of the state. Uh, if you can believe it, there's actually people right now who prefer the uh, frigidity of Texas still to uh, New Mexico because the economy is so bad here, comparatively speaking. Yeah, and, and when you mentioned earlier about the shell game, you are, I mean, that that hits the nail on the head. You are exactly right about that. And this is going to get weedy, but I'll try to be fast sure. about it. It was 10 plus years ago. Because the fact of the matter is, if they don't call it a tax, they don't feel like they have taxed you. Mimi Stewart uh, did something. When you fill out your taxes this year, you're going to have a question on your taxes of how much money did you get uh, if you got a refund from the state of New Mexico last year? How much money did you get? And whatever that amount is, it's taxed again this year. Your refund from last year will be taxed this year. That's insane. And But when I was there, when they were debating that bill, I was a reporter. Mimi Stewart over and over said, it's not a tax. It's not a tax. This is an add back. We're just adding back. It's an add back. It's not a tax. It's an exemption fee. It's not a tax. It is uh, you know, a, a carbon adjustment and so they do everything to not use the word T-A-X. Yep. But the fact of the matter is, if I have $10 in my wallet and you take 5 it doesn't matter if you call it a fee. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you call it an ad back. doesn't matter if you call it. It's a tax. You have taken that money from me. And you're exactly right. It's a shell game. They try not to call it a tax because they know that there is that connotation with it. So look for that, A. And then, B, when it's in gasoline, they can't do anything but call it a tax. And I think... Two, with the fact the matter is because of Biden's policies, 
gas prices are going up on their own. Yeah. Adding money on top well, of that. Well, you get rid of Keystone and XL, and that uh, pretty much uh, cinches exactly it. it. And we haven't got to the point, just like the $6 trillion that's hit the budget, we haven't actually got the reality of what's truly happening economically across the country, because mm-hmm. that's a good buffer. It's the same thing. You know, the public moratorium on uh, the, the anti-fracking, mm-hmm. is it really going to take place till 2023, 2024? Because they got to finish off those leases. But once that happens, you're looking at 8 9 $10 jacked up, no doubt about it. Well, uh, I don't see it going any other way. You're, you're absolutely right. But something that we were lucky to uncover again uh, last week, not this week, was, you know, our governor has been really quiet about the Biden uh, moratorium. And she she's said been, that she's not on board, but, but she hasn't said she isn't on board. Yeah, she's been, we're studying it. We're looking at it. Did you know her secretary of the energy sent a letter to the Biden administration where they admitted we are already losing wells? gas wells to texas but we knew that we knew it would happen yeah but we were talking about that all along we were saying well how many wells are we down and then once we went to negative 38 dollars a barrel yes and we were encountering that and to say hey it's going to take three four years you compound that with the fact that you're doing the public fracking uh moratorium and i'm telling you you're you're looking at putting pushing us back 10 15 years at minimum Quite possibly a couple of generations. It will be impossible to get that money back out of that once we convert to all green new energy. And that's got to be their commitment to 2045. I mean, every single time we take a step back, it takes three or four years just to get that one year back. Yep. It doesn't happen in the way of normal math. Yeah. And it doesn't, you're exactly right. It doesn't turn on a dime. It doesn't happen instantly. Texas found that out. And you may ask, well, what does you, you guys talk about have to do with Texas? When Texas needed the fossil fuel things to ramp up this last week, they couldn't because of the years of saying, we're going to move to this, we're going to move to this. Right. And, and Their not, commitments. Yeah, and not paying attention to it. And when your focus is in one area, then things deplete in other areas, and it, they're not there when you need them. In New Mexico, it is the exact same thing. We're with When you have looking in one direction to the exclusion of everything else then the fact of the matter is those other things are going to suffer they're not going to be there when you need them and it is just like you know you have the warning light come on on your car okay i'll ignore it for a little while oh there's another warning light i'll ignore that one how many are you going to ignore before your car is just going to give out on you and apparently if you're running the show in santa fe you're fine with every alarm beeping in the car and continuing to say this is fine well, I'm um, just looking at uh, the texts that are coming in right over here right now, and they're all on board with uh, what's happening in terms of our analysis because they're experiencing it. And we saw, you know, let's just shift gears for a moment here with what's happening in southern New Mexico and Eddie and Lee County, number one and number six uh, producing counties of 2019 mm-hmm. across the country for oil and gas. And I think we need to look at this from the standpoint of the social impact. You literally have, uh, I think they said 900 students who left the Hobbs School District uh, you had a, a child by the name of Landon, uh, 10 years of age, who wasn't acknowledged for more than 10 months before his uh, death was actually acknowledged. And that was a suicide uh, that, that he committed on himself uh, back in uh, the last weeks of April of last year. And uh, you're seeing the social implications of all this. So mm, how do you ask for more money and more early childhood education money? And then you stop fracking and knowing the revenues are going to coming in. Yet they're selling it in the media. You can feel it right now. Like, oh, we, we didn't realize that we were going to get this windfall of, of money that was going to come in. They're acting like nothing has happened yet because they're totally distant from the impact. But yet what we're seeing with our schools is these school boards are going to continue to ask for more uh, money for their teachers. 
They're going to continue to not go back to school. So this last year that we lost, it's going to take our children two years to come back. And I know you have your children in public school in a different in, in environment, not the Albuquerque public school system, oh, thank so, uh, God forbid. Um, but this is something that, you know, is designed right now to create the maximum political blowback, I think, uh, for our community, but particularly for those unions. And I think the unions, it, the potential's there, but we can't tap, tap into it because of the way that the story is being sold right now by the media. And EPS isn't going back. 11 of the 20 schools that are participating in 6A, well, that's all. Nine of the 6A schools here in the Albuquerque will not be participating in any of this. Like, you can't set this up any worse, but there doesn't seem to be any political wheel at this, uh, at this time to push back, Larry. Uh, I don't know if it's the, the fight just isn't there amongst the conservatives here in Albuquerque. Well, the good news is if you win three games now in football, I guess you're state champion in 6A. So that's, you know, there's a, there's a, no, I don't mean to... <laughs> To, to make yeah, light of it. Right. The fact of the matter is, the system, particularly in Albuquerque, and I could I can go on, I was the uh, communications director for the public education department. And my first job in the Martinez administration was doing that, working there with four years, when Winston Brooks was in charge of Albuquerque Public Schools. And it was a tumultuous time, because that's when I learned that, by and large, the educators of Albuquerque are incredible, and they love the kids the administration of Albuquerque is beholden to the teachers' unions. That has always been the case, and it has not changed today. We have a system set up in Albuquerque, and sadly, a lot of the districts follow, quote-unquote, Albuquerque's lead that says we value adults before we value our students. That is the deal in, in New Mexico, and you are seeing the results of that in terms of kids leaving. They will go, if they have the opportunity to choose something different, they will choose something different. Their parents will choose something different. And that is, you know, an opportunity every parent should have. But where it really hurts the most is those kids who would benefit from being in school, whose parents may not be involved for any number of reasons, or maybe they're being raised by grandma and grandpa, who don't have the, that mobility to be able to move to do a different school, to take advantage of opportunities in other areas. So they're stuck. They're stuck they with get out. what the union tells them right. to do. And I am, I, I got to be honest, I'm tired of these union leaders saying, we can't wait to welcome the kids back to the classroom, but we just have to do it safe. They are lying to you. It is a straight lie. The science says they're not at risk to do it. It doesn't spread any more than if that same teacher goes to the Walmart. It is an absolute lie. They can have the students back right now. Right. They, they choose not to. They choose not to. They put their own... They don't choose your kids. They're not choosing uh, to prioritize your kids. I mean, none of this is, uh, it it seems to be registering on people. Like, well, they're a little afraid for their uh, teacher in Las Cruces, lost their life. Well, did you understand everything that was involved with the person who lost their life uh, to quote-unquote COVID or how that could even be possibly attributed? But that was front page news or 7 and 13, to put that out there, the dangers of going back to school. When we clearly know, like, I think it was uh, three, per th- or 3 per thousand will die as in the total population, and I think it's less than 1 per, uh, what is it, 250,000 will die be to, if you're a child uh, but under the age of 18. Did you know that that's mm-hmm. that low? Mm-hmm. And we're going to prevent our kids from going to school. How did we get ourselves locked into this conversation? Well, this is all about propaganda and, uh, and, and believing what you're told, and that's what, what is happening. 
It absolutely is. And they're making decisions based upon what the adult special interests tell them to do, not what is in the best interest of our students. And look at other states for crying out loud. We can look. You know, we have the Internet now. We can see that other states have let their students back and they haven't paid a public health price for doing that. Right. And so it is, again, Some places never shut down. South Dakota, Nebraska, I mean, we, I, we can go through these states every single day. It's an, Utah. It, it is, yes. It's an absolute lie. And they, by the way, did a better job of fighting COVID than we did. And so the fact of the matter is, I, you know, I'm glad I'm in, my kiddos are in the district uh, that they are. Do I wish that district was more open? Yes. But when you look at... Comparatively speaking, like locally. APS, yeah, right. who, who embrace and who embrace listening to their special interests before their students, then I'm, I'm glad my, my kiddos will, will have that opportunity. And, you know, just to, to put a nice little spin on it, they're going to come to the voters probably with their joint resolution that's working its way through the legislature right now to go into the permanent fund for the early childhood education. And the question every New Mexican needs to be asking before they consider that is, well, what good is spending this money if they're not letting our children into the building? It's just that simple. Right. Your children can't get into the building. Yeah, why are you paying for it? How effective, you know, is this early childhood going to be? Right. You know, why are we paying for it? I think most importantly, and I think well, now that adds the argument, well, if you're not going to use the money because you're shutting down or you're doing remote learning, I'd like 90, 80, you know, 50, 100% of it back from you guys so I can go ahead and let the money follow the child. And this is where there should mm-hmm. be enough, I think, of uh, motivation to go ahead and start talking about the school choice. But that's not anywhere in the media right now. Uh, nobody not. can find it anywhere other than what we're talking about uh, right here. Um, and this all falls on the governor. The governor decided to shut everything down. But at the very same time, she also said, well, you can open up if you want. But it depends upon you guys locally and how much uh, pain can she exert. Uh, she can actually focus uh, where she wants to exert that pain. And where's all the pain going to? Where's all those red counties? Well, they're all the oil-producing Republican counties uh, that are happening. Is that by coincidence? There is no way that that's happening. So Gavin Newsom just surpassed the 1.5 million signatures uh, to go ahead and get uh, impeached uh, or recalled, recalled uh, yeah. as they're uh, putting out there. And really, there's no difference. It's just a matter of uh, real nomenclature at this point. But petition to remove California Governor Newsom officially surpasses 1.5 million. We have more than 15,000 signatures in terms of what we're doing. And I got to say, the, the public will should be there, but I think it's the media who's standing in the way. Well, they need to, uh, I mean, the media is, I, I have a little bit, let me stop stumbling. I have a, 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 sure. a smidgen of sympathy in the sense that they're drinking from a fire hose, right? They get 50 gazillion press releases and, and everything. But it has been 10 months, 11 months that we have been in this now. And there has been plenty of time to ask these questions that you have brought up, that we have all brought up and asked. And the fact of the matter is, those questions just aren't getting asked. The level of scrutiny that Gavin Newsom is facing, or that Andrew Cuomo is facing, is much higher than Michelle Lujan Grisham is facing. And you have to ask why. When she has, I think it's down to once a month now, press conference, and every preface of a reporter question is, thanks for you know taking the time, thanks for answering the question. It, it doesn't work like that. She works for us, and 
the, her decisions deserve to be scrutinized. I can guarantee you when there was a governor with an R next to her name, those decisions were scrutinized, they were demonized, they were undermined, and they were questioned at every point of view from everyone. And just because, you know, you don't have a bunch of uh, legislators feigning outrage like you do when there's a Republican governor doesn't mean that there aren't real consequences to those decisions and that they don't need to stand up to scrutiny. Is what she's saying going to happen? Going to happen. I mean, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is she's switched her position a couple of times, right? She said, no, we're going to treat the whole state the same. And now all of a sudden we're county by county. And she said all these things that, you know, I, I can tell you my school districts had their vaccination clinic approved and then canceled by the, the state government. And then it was, oops, sorry, we can't really do it. I mean, the bumbledness that has happened in this um, response to COVID, the fact of the matter is, you know, she what, and her enablers and her, her uh, friends in the media will continue to say rah, rah. Even as I tweet about her contingency fund, all people can say is, I, I get responses that say like, so? so? So what if she did that? Oh, well, she's allowed to do that. Ha ha ha, you think this is news. There is a mass amount of her enablers that she can absolutely do no wrong with because they are happy with um, the fact that she is their political ally and they will excuse any behavior. And that is the problem. Yeah, um, we're here with Larry Behrens, Power of the Future, powerofthefuture.com, uh, former communications director for Governor Susanna Martinez. I'm going to keep it here rather than uh, jump to break if uh, if you don't mind, Larry. And, uh, just no, I insist continue. you jump yes. the break. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we, we're going to have a uh, pretty heartfelt and uh, uh, somber uh, last third hour to uh, listen to the uh, Fox News special that came out uh, uh, for Rush Limbaugh. Um, let's go back to APS. Let's mm-hmm. talk about coaches. And, you know, I alluded already to the nine uh, schools that will not participate as part of the Albuquerque public school system of going back. Not playing sports this fall concerns APS uh, players and coaches. It shouldn't just concern them. They should just be in such an incredible uproar. But why is it that they don't have the political will to fight back? Well, and that's just it. And and I would talk to them about, you know, a lot of those, uh, all the coaches are educators, but a lot of them are also teaching something separate than their, yeah. you know, athletic, um, than their sport. And And you know what? They're all probably members of their union. And they need to be fighting with their union and saying, you are not representing me when you go to Santa Fe and you pat the governor on the back for closing the schools. And let's be honest, uh, you know it and I know it, but the governor didn't open the schools. I know that was, uh, and and going back to your media discussion, I know that was all on the front page, governor opened schools, governor opened schools. No, she didn't. She said they could open by such and such date, but what didn't get reported on or really followed up on a whole lot, it did a little, but a whole lot was the fact that PED put out, I don't know how many days later, but uh, regulations for this is what you must do to open. And those were so, you know, strenuous that a lot of the districts said, nope, just not going to do it. Yeah, we can't participate. There's just no way. And so, yeah, you know, I could say, you know what, I'm going to let you out of jail, but I'm going to make sure that you have a 500-pound weight that you have to carry off your ear. And and the fact of the matter is the practical implications of saying, oh, yep, we, we let them back in school. It doesn't work because all she wanted to do was shift the political pressure from herself to your local school board. And that's exactly what she did. I saw the wall-to-wall coverage of the APS school board, and the governor gets to wipe her hands clean from that to say, yep, it's all the, you know, the school boards, but 
then she put down so many rules that it made it near impossible for them to open it. Kudos to those districts that are still finding a way to do it. But the fact of the matter is it was an underhanded opening. If she had just said, hey, it's open, we trust the school districts and school boards to make decisions that are in the best health of their students, that would have been one thing. That's not what she did. She says, you're going to be allowed to open, and then they just put out a massive list. I mean, for example, my kiddo in high school, they're going to say, yay, high schools are open. Did you know it's only half a day because the regulations around lunch are so strenuous that they just can't offer lunch in a group environment? At any school, probably in the That's state. That's insane. Yeah, so they're going to just have them be there half a day. That's all they can well, do. My kids have been in school since September. Yeah. Actually, August. Yeah, and, and, and it's just because the state put so many rules around lunch and every other rule that it made it near impossible. And so I don't blame, uh, you know, a lot of districts for just saying, yeah, I know she said we could, but we just can't under these rules. She did not give them the freedom to do what she said she was doing. Uh, not just schools being canceled uh, or choosing not to go back, but the, and this is the first, because the horse racing industry has been open. It has never shuttered in a number of different states. California and New York being the primary two places, and the New Mexico Racing Commission voted to cancel its racing season, which is the third or fourth largest industry in the entire state. Uh, huge. Horse racing was huge in New Mexico for so long, and that seems to be going um, by the wayside, as uh, they have decided uh, yesterday to end their sessions uh, and canceled for the entire, which includes the Sunland Park Derby, uh, which we've had a winner of the Sunland Park Derby, Mind That Bird, uh, who went on to win the Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, it's really interesting, the things that Just get, think about that. Well, it, I, I mean, it, the things that that are just nonsensical, why this and not that? So I understand they're completely different sports with completely dis- different participants. Before you jump on me, New Mexico United's doing just fine. Why were they allowed to compete? Why this and not that? And, you know, if they could figure out a way to do it without large crowds, then talk with them. But it just seems like there is a pick- picking of winners and losers that New Mexicans see that doesn't really make any sense. And we saw it with our businesses. We've seen it with our schools. We've seen it with our major industries. You get to continue, you don't get to continue. And something that's really interesting, and I would encourage people to look at, when they look at the governor's public health order, they can see that, you know what, the large group gatherings of whether it's five or ten people, those large group gatherings, amazingly, don't apply to public officials. So the public officials can meet in groups as big as they want, as long as they're wink, still doing their official work. Why, you know, is COVID so smart that it won't spread among public officials? And so that's the nonsensical things that New Mexicans see that they just start to to feel that disconnect of, well, is this about the science or is this about the politics? And it's clearly about the politics when you look at things like horse racing versus professional soccer. Something, and in fact, uh, I'm not sure if you saw this, but the New Mexico United will not be playing the Star Spangled Banner. They will be playing uh, Rate Lift Every Voice. They will not. <laughs> I wish you could see... <laughs> Larry Barron's face <laughs> uh, here in the studio. Yeah, uh, yeah, you can't even get past it. I saw somebody with a New Mexico United lanyard, and I walked up to her, and I almost, I basically accosted her. I said, "Did you know that uh, the soccer team is not going to be playing the Star Spangled Banner?" And she just looked past. She's like, "Well, you know what? They probably have their reasons." And she kept her thing. That's that's the kind of mentality we have here in the uh, state of New Mexico. I I know Larry. I, I can't even tell you. 
I would never want Larry to look at me the way that he's uh, having to look at me right now based upon his expression that he just heard. And this is uh, someone who loves this country, as I do. We should have to apologize for wanting a better America. But that's the situation we found ourselves in because we're paying too much attention to the media. Um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of talk <laughs> out of Washington yeah. that talks about united. You know, we need to unite. And Bruce Springsteen will tell us about meeting a church in Kansas, even though he's from Jersey, but apparently he wears a cowboy hat and all that stuff. The fact of the matter is, the standing for the national anthem, for me, has always been a uniting um, event. I may vote differently than you. I may believe 180 degrees different than you, but we will stand together in this moment. And the fact that we have now thrown that into the realm of identity politics and say that, um, you know, you can, um, it, it, that it, it's going to become taboo. I think it's the biggest national issue right now, believe it or not. To honor, to yeah, honor just to honor like, whether or not you want to be a part of this country. And there's not a single person who I've ever talked to who stood for the flag who said, boy, I'm sure doing it because I'm really glad that all these very real issues are happening in America. Right. You know, these people, there, there are absolute issues that are happening, and, and the, it, it, I don't believe it's ever been an endorsement of those issues to stand for the flag. Uh, have, you seen the, have you ever seen this amount of propaganda and lies emanating uh, in history as much as you know? Uh, I, I can think of, you know, the Bolsheviks in terms of them amplifying what happened in 1904 for the next... 15 years until they got what they wanted. They controlled the papers. They controlled everything, the Lenin. And then you had communism for the next 80 years. But I can't think of another example besides that in Nazi Germany. Um, we're on that type of path right now, given the complete and total dominance of the uh, news media. I mean, when you're outright uh, banning the president and any of his followers, uh, Mike Lindell, my pillow, uh, from the only place where they had thought that they could actually express themselves, which wasn't a platform. It was a platform. I mean, this was a united takedown by them of us because they didn't like our political speech. Uh, First Amendment is squashed. You know, it was interesting. We used to, when we grow up and, and we heard the stories, hey, did you know in North Korea they sell radios, but the radio only com- it comes welded with one station, the state-run station? Mm-hmm. And we used to laugh at that and say, golly, so, so glad we have you know, what we have. But then we see voices being silenced. Yep. And and it, it starts to feel like that, right? You're welded to, you can only listen to these stations. Granted, there's more than one, but you only listen to these and not listen to those. And and you know what? The other side will say, but, you know, the dangerous rhetoric and it's insightful. You know what? I It, it comes from a position of you don't trust the people. You don't trust the public to understand that if someone says something crazy, the public gets it. It's mm-hmm. crazy, and they can ignore it and move on, and we'll all move on with our lives. And the fact of the matter is, when you know the government is choosing who can or can't speak, or companies are choosing who can or can't speak with, um, a, with reckless abandon, right, without really paying any consequence for that, you have to ask yourself, what is it that you feel that now you can't say because you feel that, that they will come for you next? That's what's happened in New Mexico. People don't speak up because they think that someone is going to be coming for them. And, uh, you know, I know there's some people who are deniers of the Holocaust. Um, but here you go. You have all of the elements of that right here with what's happening to us. We're essentially the new Jews uh, here in America. That's what exactly what the conservatives are. And we will continue to be going forward until we fight back and, and uh, to a point to say that, you know, 
we can express ourselves. Uh, this is a place where we welcome all people. Um, and I have to tell you that we have seen um, from the left uh, the demonization of all conservatives. And I want to say Republicans because I think the Republicans are lauded who come over. You saw the six or seven senators who voted to impeach Trump. Oh, they didn't get touched by the left. But we certainly saw that uh, those 10 senators who decided to go meet with uh, Joe Biden, they didn't get touched by the, the left either. And they'll, they're good with you. You'll be demonized and uh, torn apart uh, if you decide to go against them. And that homogenized uh, opinions, uh, which is basically what you're speaking of, except it's not just one station. It's all the stations saying one thing uh, is, I think, going to unfortunately continue until we get some significant pushback. I like to think that a lot of that's starting right here in this radio station in terms of what we're talking about. But I still don't, and if you can believe this, Larry, I don't think that we're really going hard enough here. Well, I, I want to go, go harder than, than I possibly can. But the, 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 the problem is, is uh, you know, I've got to have a lot of people who have the political courage to get behind me, too. It, it's, it's absolutely tough because people, I understand the fear. I absolutely understand the fear of the retribution and the fact that it's just a change, right? Uh, you know, it, it's sad that, that you know, you should have to fight to live your way uh, of life normally and to have to fight for your livelihood. But there, there, is, there are those that are coming after it because they have decided for whatever reason, uh, and whatever reason both they say and whatever the actual reason is, uh, that your way of life is unacceptable to them. Right, and right. we see it all the I, I mean. You know, I don't mean to go back to energy, but I'll say it. It happens in energy all the time. They use the word just transition. Let's talk about what that means. That means you lose your job. That means we're going to take your livelihood. We're going to give you a pittance back maybe, and you go find something else. That to me is a just transition. And I've never heard of anything more arrogant than that because they feel that your livelihood is no more acceptable, so we're just going to stop it. We're going to destroy that job. We're going to undermine it. And it doesn't matter if you're feeding your family. It doesn't matter if you're supporting grandma. It doesn't matter if you have a mortgage. It doesn't matter if you're doing all those things that every family works and strives and tries really hard to do. I don't like that you're doing it. I'm going to destroy it, and then I'm going to call it a just transition just because I can. And it is absolute arrogance. And, you know, it is something that um, I, it, it is a notion that is completely completely alien to the New Mexico I grew up in. There are, there's always been, um, you know, the New Mexico that says we believe differently, but I'm going to let you believe what you believe. And, 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 you know, we both like football. So we'll hang yeah, out with football. That doesn't exist anymore. It, it doesn't. And, and you have to, not only do you have to win now, your opponent has to suffer a price. Yeah. And, and publicly. The, yeah. And the zero humiliation. Sum, yeah. The zero sum game of it. And in that sense, is is going to it, it? It can only feed upon itself for so long before it comes after everybody. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let me say one other thing uh, to you, uh, just comparatively speaking: Arizona versus New Mexico. Arizona is on track for eleven percent jobs increase over the last two years, uh, whereas New Mexico. Uh, do you know what kind of neighborhood we're in in I, terms of number I, of jobs we lost? I can tell you, uh, in pure number of jobs, I don't know. Yet I was hoping that it was over one hundred and ten thousand. It was. It was folks that were unemployed. Um, the fact of the matter, I don't think the the feds are doing it in February, but I want to see. But I can tell you, we ranked. We have the sixth highest unemployment in the country. Yep. And we've been in the top ten consistently for the past 
six, That's seven, exactly half a year. Right. So there's the New Mexico you guys got. We're going to get to Rush Limbaugh shortly, and we'll wrap it up uh, very quickly within three minutes. But I'm going to rifle on ten questions here for you, young Larry Barons. Oh, and by goodness. the way, you can find uh, Larry Barons at PowerTheFuture.com, and I'll give you my answers too, which I'm, we're, we're probably going to be one and the same, uh, to be quite honest. But I, I'll put them out there uh, nonetheless. Don't forget to get your freedom checklist uh, as well. We put that out there for everybody so that they can see it, they have it, and they can, uh, you know, make the choice uh, for themselves uh, going forward. So here we go. The questions for the day. Trump versus McConnell. Whose side are you on? I'm on the side of conservatism. I, 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 I can tell you I have a hard time when we're going after each other a whole lot. Um, I supported what President Trump did. And the fact of the matter is, you know, I, I think the other side just really enjoys it when we're attacking each other. I think uh, most Republicans are still attacking Trump. Uh, do you agree with, and by the way, I'm for Trump, uh, but do you agree, Larry, with the UN that the earth is broken, yes or no? I do not, no. <laughs> no. Uh, I what is your favorite Benicio Del Toro film? I don't know. Um, the only one I could think of, and it's not my favorite film, he was in The Last Jedi but, oh, he was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, it, Traffic it, is my favorite film. I haven't seen Traffic. Yeah, it's yeah. great. The narco-traffic concerts. you got to watch Oscar it. Oscar winner. Tra- I'd never yeah, seen it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why has Arizona experienced a booming economy since statehood in 1912, while New Mexico, which entered the Union the same year, has not? It's a great well, question. One word. Regulation. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, five. Was imposing lockdowns that produced the worst economic growth since World War II worth it? No. Uh, does Ted Cruz deserve his criticism? He's getting for his trip to New Mexico. Yes. Why? Because you, when your state is going through a crisis, you stay there with your state. Uh, leadership, yeah. integrity. Yeah. You hear that, Michelle Lujan Grisham? <laughs> uh, he's not getting wagyu beef, but uh, she certainly did. Mm-hmm. Uh, will South Carolina's fetal heartbeat and protection from abortion act survive legal scrutiny? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Okay. I hope it does. What should uh, nations do, if anything, about China's treatment of the Uyghurs? They should call it what it is. It's absolute genocide. They're taking children away from their families and re-educating them to make them think that the state is their parents, and they should absolutely uh, call it what it is and, and, you know, and use every tool available short of uh, you know, all-out violence and military action to um, underscore the fact that you just cannot treat a religious minority in that way. And finally, should taxpayer money be used to explore Mars? Yeah, absolutely. There we go. All right, Larry. I appreciate it. All the libertarians' heads just exploded. I'm sorry. But, yeah, I agree. I think we should. Do they? They're not on board with that? They may not be. (laughs) There you go. All right. Stay tuned. Very special Hour 3 up next. uh, Rush Limbaugh. And uh, we're going to remember Rush. I'll see you bright and early tomorrow. 10 a.m. for all of our Super Saturday broadcasting. And then, of course... Uh, We'll flip it on over into the Liberty Ladies tomorrow afternoon and wrap it up with the Spirits of New Mexico. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Larry, for being here. And we appreciate you tuning in to The Rock of Talk on AM600KIBA, rockoftalk.com, and rockoftalk.tv.